Good morning. Please stand for the uh, scripture reading for today. It is in Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 11. Is there any encouragement from belonging to Christ, any comfort from his love, any fellowship together in the Spirit? Are your hearts tender and compassionate? Then make me truly happy by agreeing wholeheartedly with each other, loving one another, and working together with one mind and one purpose. Don't be selfish. Don't try to impress others. Be humble, thinking of others as better than yourselves. Don't look out, for, don't look out only for your own interest, but take an interest in others too. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave and was born a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Therefore, God elevated him to a place of highest honor and gave him the name above all other names, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue declare that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the, God, to the glory of God the Father. You may be seated. Morning, everybody. I don't know about you, but that scripture reader was good looking. <laughs> I uh, might want to get her number. Do they do that these days? Do kids ask for each other's numbers? I'll be honest, I don't even know my kids' numbers. Like, if you look at my phone, it's just Caleb. So... Well, good morning. Uh, excited to be here. Glad that, uh, glad that you're here. I'll be honest with you. Uh, I'm, I'm absolutely thrilled that you're here because usually when the pastor says, hey, I'm not preaching next week, that's like code for I might go to the lake or, you know, something like that. So the fact that you're here is just awesome, and, I, and I'm glad that you, uh, that you came out. Um, it's, a pretty, it's a pretty big uh, challenge to kind of fill in Pastor Jason's shoes. He's a, he's, a, he's a pretty cool guy, and, uh, and I, I, I'll just be honest with you, I don't, uh, I don't preach like him at all. If any of you have ever heard me preach, you know that me, like, it's, I'm just different. Um, he's like a teacher, and I'm kind of a storyteller, and so, um, but I love the way he teaches, and it's kind of always got that academic thing going on, and I love when he puts up, like, the, um, like the diagrams, the graphs, you know what I'm talking about? Like he puts it up and then everybody brings their phone and like takes a picture of it immediately. And that's like my favorite. And so I decided I would try to do that today. So I made this diagram. Um, this is how skilled I am at making diagrams. And on the left, it goes from not at all, all the way up to Pastor Jason level. And as you can see, when I was born, I wasn't very skilled at all. And it gradually increased until 93. That's when I graduated high school. That was like the pinnacle of my diagram making because we made um, Venn diagrams. Do you know what Venn diagrams are? They're like ovals that go into each other. I'm not sure what you use them for, but they're, I know how to make one. And, uh, and, then, it, and then it just all went, went south from there. Uh, 
but I made this one. So it goes back up. So there's my diagram, and um, now I'm on the same level as Pastor Jason. So, no, I, I you know, it's kind of funny. Like I said, I, I, I'm kind of a storyteller, and, uh, and the last time I was up here, I, I you know, I, I told a story, I think, about uh, kind of some, some journey that I've gone through. The scripture we just read, though, is, uh, it, it tells kind of a different t- type of story. Uh, it's Paul writing to this church in, in Philippi. And, uh, and, and he's writing to the church in Philippi because the church in Philippi has a problem. And I don't know if you guys realize this or not, but the majority of the New Testament is written to churches that had problems. Like, if the church was doing good, why would you write it a letter? It, you know, you wouldn't put that in the Bible. Hey, what's up? How's Joe? You know, I mean, like, that wouldn't be a good scripture. But most of the churches that were being written to had problems. Uh, the church at Corinth, um, they had like all kinds of sexual immorality issues and, and people were, were fighting over who was more spiritual than the other. They were getting drunk at communion. And I think about that and I'm like, what? <laughs> like drunk at communion? That's just nuts. Philippi was not that level of, of like off though. Philippi had, had a unique set of problems. Philippi had a problem with, uh, with people not getting along. People gossiping about other people. People struggling with personalities that didn't, that, that kind of clashed. And, uh, and can I just be honest with you? Philippi sounded a lot like the churches that I've encountered in my life. I mean, I, ch- church for, you know, in general, I love church, but church has this, has this really unique flaw, and that is it is filled with people, right? And people by their very nature are flawed, and we have conflict, and we have trouble, and, and you know, I, I, I always, when I was a pastor, it was kind of funny, because I would always debate about what I was going to wear to preach in on Sunday morning, and you've preached, I mean, do you ever, do, when you preach, do you think to yourself, man, I got I to gotta come up with the outfit, right, because the outfit you're going for is I want to be edgy, and I want to be cool, and I want people to think that, but I don't want to offend anybody, so like this, even this morning, I was going to put, and I'm thinking to myself, should I wear flip-flops, and, uh, and, and I thought, you know, flip-flops means it's summer, and I'm casual, but at the same time, I've got to curl my toes to keep them, like, held, it, and it could be really distracting. And even right now, I'm very distracted. But you, you get really, like, in a church, you have people that are just interacting with each other, and, and, and because of that, there's just conflict. When, wherever there's people, there's conflict. And I was already kind of looking at this passage of Scripture for this particular message before I knew that we were entertaining the thought of joining churches together. Let me tell you something. If you've ever married into a family, you know that that's interesting, combining families together. And so when you talk about combining churches, it's very much like a marriage, right? You're combining people. And so I thought this is really appropriate to look at how Paul says we should interact with one another, especially as servants of Jesus Christ. Because it should be different than the way the world interacts with each other. Right? It should be. It should not only be different, it should be noticeably different. It should be so different that people look. In fact, in in John, he says, this is how they will know you are my disciples, by your love one for another. And so we should treat each other in, in such a different way that people go, oh my gosh, those are disciples of Jesus. And I... I got to tell you the truth, growing up in church and pastoring church for 20 some odd years, I haven't always lived up to that call. 
I've had my opinions and I wanted to share them strongly before. And someone had a different opinion. They wanted to share it strongly and the 4th of July commenced, right? It just, it just gets messy. But Paul presents this different idea, this idea of, of getting along. And he says it really simply. He says, in the version I'm reading, he says, make my joy complete. But if you throw that scripture back up there, if you want to throw it up there, but you can. If not, that's fine. But, but what he really gets to is he gets to this idea of the way that you treat one another, the way that you interact with one another, the way that you have relationships with one another within the body of Christ is to have the same mindset as Jesus Christ. And that's kind of my big idea today is this idea of having the mindset of Jesus Christ. So you got that? I mean, if, if, if you got that, if you got it figured out, I can, like, shut this down and we can go over to BA Colonial and have dinner. I mean, it's having the mindset of Jesus Christ. That's how you interact with one another. It's so easy, right? Who's got it covered? <laughs> I think it's funny that he's like, hey, I have the same mindset of Jesus Christ. And I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Be like Jesus. Okay, I, fantastic. I can try to be like Jesus, but what does that mean? Fortunately, he lays it out for us. He lays it out in a really, really simple fashion when he says, being in very nature God, he did not consider equality with God as something to use to his own advantage. But instead, he made himself nothing by taking on the nature of a servant and being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself by becoming obedient to death. Jesus made himself nothing. Anybody ever have, like, encountered teenagers? You can admit it. It's okay. We used to have church dinners, and when we had church dinners, it would be like, okay, everybody, we're going to go to church dinner now. There's going to be a line, and this is what I want you to do. I want you to, you know, let some of our older people go first, right? You know, let them go first. And then we would say amen, and it did not matter. It was always like 15-year-olds at the front of the line. They would just race to the front of the line as fast as they could. And it's not really their fault because they just were hungry, and they needed the food first. But Jesus is putting this, this idea in place, and this idea is that you don't race to the front of the line. You race to the back of the line. In fact, our interactions with one another are supposed to be this idea of constantly vying for last place. And that is so tough, especially for Americans. Because we don't like to fight for last place here, right? We are winners. Anybody root for the University of Kentucky Wildcats? What about University of Louisville Cardinals? So you got one that fights to be winners and one that fights to be losers, and you can pick, pick which one you think is the one, right? <laughs> We're competitive, and we want to be competitive, but Jesus is the, has got this idea of competitiveness is like going to the back. And so I'm going to tell three stories that's going to kind of lay this out. And, and the first one just kind of starts with, 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 with this idea that Jesus, he laid down his title, the very first thing that, that, that you need to know about Jesus and how you can have the mindset of Christ is that Jesus laid down his title. What, what's kind of our ultimate goal as Christians? We, we, we talk about this. We sing songs about it. Old hymns are written about it, that I want to get up to glory, right? And I want to be in heaven, and I want to live in eternity blessed with, with, with 
you realize he already had that? He started with that. He was already, I mean, he, he was on the throne. He was already in heaven. He was in glory. And, and he just, he, you know, he said, you know, I, I think that it's what I got is good. But these folks down here, they need somebody to help them get here. And so I'm going to set this aside. I'm going to set aside my title. I'm going to set aside my throne, my rank. I'm going to go down. I'm going to get on their level. And I'm going to become one of them. Not only am I going to become one of them. He didn't even come as a king. He came as like the lowest of the lows, right? I mean, he went all the way to the bottom and said, I'm going to start there. And I'm going to get on their level. And I'm going to live their life. And I'm going to die their death so that way they can be with me. This idea of laying down his title, this idea of laying down his rank is something that's hard for us to get behind because most of us spend, spend our lives climbing our, the ladder, right? They talk about it, you know, going for the brass ring. And, and, and you know, I've, I've never seen anybody apply for a demotion at work, right? You're always applying for a promotion. You're always moving forward and moving ahead. And, and, and I'm not saying there's anything wrong with that at all. But when it comes to our interactions with one another, especially as brothers and sisters in Christ, we are supposed to put our titles aside and put our ranks aside. There's a reason we're called brothers and sisters. Because one thing you know is that siblings, none of them outrank each other. They all think they do. But ultimately, if you ask a parent, which one do you love more? They'll say, there is no more. I I love them all. I never understood that either when I was a kid. I always thought that somebody was lying. But then I had kids of my own, and it's just, it's, un, it's how, how can I possibly love someone more than I love my kids who I love unconditionally, right? And so they're all on this same level. I liken it to, to kids' church. Anybody here work in kids' church? Fantastic. Let me just stop, and we'll do point number 1.5 right now, okay? There should be so many more hands go up whenever I say anybody work in kids' church. We should all be out there working in kids' church with somebody 18 or under. Like, we should work with kids because Jesus worked with kids. And if we want to have the mindset of Christ, we should probably do that. And, and I know what you're thinking, but, Matt, I don't like kids. <laughs> None of us do, okay? <laughs> it's, 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 I mean, we want them to get past whatever they're going through at that moment. But, but we love them. And, I, and I, I, I work back in kids' church, and it's kind of funny because I've got, a, I've, got this, I've got a specific role. I'm kind of like the kids' church enforcer. So, like, even right now, there's teachers back there right now, and when a kid is doing what kids do, they're saying, do you want me to text Matt? Because he'll come back there. And so that's kind of my job is to come back there and just, just show up, and then all the kids are, like, behaving. And, and, and here's the thing. None of, none of them know why they're behaving. All they know is that every once in a while I'll take a kid out of class and then I'll bring the kid back and they assume that, like, all hell breaks loose outside of class, right? They, they assume that, that, that I just bring the thunder, but I don't. This is what I do when I take a kid out is I bring them out and <clears throat> there's one kid in particular whose name I'm not going to reveal, but, but, but real short one which is kind of funny because they're all kind of short. But this is what I do. I get them outside, and then I'm going to talk to them. And the first thing as I do is I get down right here, and I get down eye level to talk to them. And there's two reasons for that. First of all, it's because I need to, like, 
make sure they're looking at me, right? Because otherwise they might be looking at other. But the big thing is, is that nobody is going to receive anything from someone that is towering above them. All they're going to do is fear someone that's towering above them. They're not going to receive any kind of guidance, encouragement, kindness, wisdom, anything from anybody towering above them. And so I have to get down on their level in order to be able to speak to them with whatever truth I need to speak to them with. And, and it's kind of funny when you realize that that's just what Jesus did to, with us. If all Jesus came to do was die, he didn't need 33 years to do it. He lived a life on our level so he could speak to us on our level. And so we should do that with one another. Listen, I'll tell you right now, whenever I disagree with somebody in the body of Christ, I, I, I want to just be like, who are you? I have been serving Jesus for this many years, and I've, got this, I've read the Bible this many times, and you know, I want to go, but, but ultimately, you know what? None of that matters because that gets laid aside when I realize that the person I'm interacting with is someone that Jesus came and died for. And if he died for them, then they are worth a king's ransom. And if they are worth that, then who am I to treat them differently? And so Jesus laid down his title, and we should do that. Whether it be a title or a rank or just authority, we should be willing. Even, even when you talk about a pastor, anybody that's ever encountered a pastor knows that these guys are not authorities. They are authorities, but they are servants above all else. And that's because that's how you do it in the kingdom of God. Point number two, this is, this is a big one. Jesus, he laid down his weapons. And, uh, yeah, that's never going to go over well in Kentucky. I went, to, I went to Grayson County Fair, and there was a speaker, like a singer. I don't, know, I don't know if he was a singer or a speaker. He might have been a demolition derby driver because I was at a demolition derby. And, and he had a sign that said, uh, beer bullets in the Bible. <laughs> And he's like, what do you think? And everybody's like, woo! And I was like, I'm in Grayson County. This is great. <laughs> but Jesus laid down his weapons. There, there's, there's this passage, J, uh, John chapter 8. By the way, this passage at the beginning of John chapter 8, I, I'm not going to put it on the screen. I'm just going to tell you about it. You'll have to read it and check and see if I'm lying to you or not. But at the very beginning of John chapter 8, there's, there's a passage where Jesus is, is, is encountering this woman that they've brought to him. And this passage wasn't even included in scriptures for years and years and years because they thought it was so controversial that people wouldn't be able to handle it. But they bring, bring Jesus this woman they said was caught in the act of adultery. Many of you have heard this story, right? And they said, teacher, uh, the law says we're supposed to stone this lady, so what do you say? And they all got rocks in their hands. They're ready to go. And it, you, for, you, we could talk about a ton of different things about that. The fact that there wasn't a guy there. I mean, come on. How does that even make sense, right? But, but she's, she's right there, and she's just at, at his mercy. And he looks around, and he says, uh, whoever's without sin, cast the first stone. Starts writing in the ground. You're, what, what do you think he was writing in the ground? Everybody's got opinions on that. Do you have an idea? You don't care. Oh, like he was writing, I don't care. I thought you were dissing my sermon. I didn't know, I didn't know what was going on. <laughs> you think he was just writing, I don't care. I like that. I've heard people say they thought maybe he was like writing down like names of people that these people had been with or something. I've heard, I've heard people say maybe he was writing down just scripture that maybe contradicted what they were saying. 
I, I kind of like the idea that he was just doodling and they didn't know what he was doing. And he's just waiting and being like, yeah, they ain't going to figure this out. And the Bible says that one by one, they all just started dropping their rocks and walking away. Starting with the oldest. Because we know, us old people know, I ain't without sin. And then he looks at her, and, and this, is, this is where I really want to get you, because cause, cause, cause he looks at her and he says, hey, woman, where are your accusers? Are there none left to condemn you? And she says, no one. And so we all say, man, that's a good story. But the story's not over there, because there is one left, right? And the one that's left has no sin. And what did he say? Whoever's without sin cast the first stone. And so he's there, and he has every right to pick up those rocks and start hurling. And he says, neither do I condemn you. Go and sin no more. You realize he had a right, and he yielded his right for the sake of this person. And how many of us fight for our rights so much that we hurt other people? By the way, I love being able to be like the guest preacher instead of the pastor because when I was the pastor, then I would have to deal with the fallout of my messages the next week, and now I can just like stay home or something if I want to, so. We are all about fighting for our rights. Listen, I never knew how much everybody was about fighting for their rights until we got social media, and then it's like, oh my gosh. Everybody's fighting this and, and my right is, is, a, is different than your right, and our rights are clashing with each other, and we're just fighting, 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 fighting. And if you look at Jesus and you have the mindset of Jesus, you will find out that the one thing that Jesus never did was fight. When they went to arrest him in the Garden of Gethsemane, his disciple whipped out a sword, cut off the guy's ear, which is either a really amazing stroke or it means he really stinks as a swordman, right? We don't know which. And he says, put your sword away. If you live by the sword, you'll die by the sword. And he heals the guy's ear. He stands in front of Pilate. And Pilate's saying, hey, uh, you know, I've got the power to do uh, to you like crazy. I mean, and, and, and he's like, are you going to defend yourself? And, and it says he stood there silent. He laid down his weapons. And how many times do we raise our weapons against each other, especially against brothers and sisters in Christ. How many times do we use the Bible as a weapon? Listen, I'm not saying the Bible's not a weapon, but the Bible says very specifically that we wage war in a different way because we don't wrestle with flesh and blood, but against powers and principalities and the rulers of this present darkness. We use the Bible as a weapon against evil spiritual things and strongholds that come against us, not against each other. Ain't nobody ever been beaten into becoming a Christian. You can win an argument and lose a soul to hell. Why would you want to do that? And so the mindset of Jesus says that I'll lay down my title. And it says I'll lay down my weapons. I don't have to be right all the time. You ever want to fight with your spouse? Anybody? How'd that go for you? That's the worst. But Jesus thinks the relationship is worth more than the rightness. 
The last thing I want to point out is that Jesus laid down his dignity. I was going to say pride, but what I'm getting ready to tell you about isn't, it's not about pride. This is, this is straight up dignity. In John chapter 13, Jesus is, is standing there and he's, uh, he's with his disciples. They're getting ready to have the Passover feast. And, and according to the Bible, it says that at that moment, he recognized that all power in heaven and earth had been given unto him. So in, in other words, in that moment, he was the stuff. He was the man. He was the God. He, was, he, he just knew that he was the most powerful person in that room. And in that passage, on that same verse, it says, so he took a towel and he wrapped it around his waist and he went around and started washing their feet. Gross. I'm telling you, you don't, you don't realize how gross it is because like, like when we think of washing feet, we think, okay, somebody's gonna have to take their shoes off, they're gonna take their socks off, we're gonna wash their feet and they're gonna be sweaty and nasty. That is not the kind of feet we're talking about. They wore like flip-flops, like sandals. And they walked in dusty streets, streets where animals had defecated. And they, they, they didn't take baths all the time. They, I mean, you, you didn't have the, the mowing faucet in the shower with the multiple massage heads, which sounds amazing right now. Their feet were so disgusting. And what they would do in that day is if you were a wealthy person or a person of means, then you would actually have like a servant or a slave wash your guest's feet as a demonstration of how powerful you were, as a demonstration of, of how much authority you had because, because, yes, these were your guests, but you were actually showing them that you could bend a person's will to the point that they would wash dung off of, off of your guest's feet. Foot washing was not an act of humility. It was an act of humiliation. And Jesus, he did it on purpose. Like, as a demonstration. Sacrificed his dignity to show his disciples how they should treat each other. Me and Joe were talking about foot washing earlier. So Joe's going to come up, and I'm going to wash his feet right now. No, I'm just joking. We're not going to do that. <laughs> I would have told you. We were talking about foot washing earlier, and, 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 and we, we both have been around churches where they do foot washing on a regular basis. Anybody ever been to a foot washing? Oh, okay, cool. So you know what I'm talking about. So my mom used to take me to foot washing, and I was like a teenager, and I was like, what is going on here? Because all these old people in suits and uh, dresses would go into, and the, the ladies would go in one room, the men would go in another room. And they would go back there, and they'd get these buckets out of these bowls, and they'd start washing each other's feet and praying and all that stuff. And it was, like, just weird, right? That's the way I thought. I was a teenager, right? Um, and my mom, she, she loved to make me do things because I was not a, a very obedient child. And so, <laughs> so she would, like, punish me by making me go to foot washing, which is kind of funny when I think about it now. But there was this, uh, there was this one time, and, 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 and I, I've been to dozens of foot washings, but, but the foot washing I went to, 
this one time, I was 15 years old, and, and I walk into this room, and I had been playing basketball all day. Um, I had the, the high-top Converse shoes, you know what I'm talking about? The ones where you could uh, replace the colors in the side. You remember those? Yeah. Ballin'. And I wore them without socks, which, what the heck? I don't know what that was about. And I've been playing ball all day, and I'm in this room, and I look around the room, and there's just all these, like, um, really official-looking men. And uh, where's Haley at? You up here? Woo! You can play whenever you want to. That's cool. And uh, there's all these official-looking men kind of in the room. And there's this one man in particular that I, that I remember. His name was John Kircher. And, uh, and, and I, I, I'm telling you his name because this is a man that I respected so much. He, he was a powerful, powerful person. I mean, he had so many people that worked for him. Like, he owned his own businesses and all that stuff. And, uh, and, and he, he had so much money. Like, his, his house had a VCR when we were still renting, renting VCRs. Do you remember when you had to rent VCRs? They actually owned one. And um, kids, a VCR is this thing you put a tape in and play videos. It's but John was John was an interesting guy because John, whenever he was born, he was born premature, and uh, and because he was born premature, and it was it was it was you know early uh, like nineteen probably thirties or forties, whatever it was, they didn't really have the same kind of kind of medical knowledge they did, and so. Um, Premature children sometimes came out under, underdeveloped, and they didn't really do much with regards to, to incubation and trying to get them to a place of full development. So John, as a result, had uh, really stubby fingers. You know what I'm saying? Like on one hand, he had kind of like, like almost like baby fingers, kind of. But it didn't matter because you didn't mess with John because John was a powerful, powerful person, right? And so it wasn't like anybody was going to be like baby fingers, you know, because John was just, and he's in this room along with a bunch of other men and stuff, and, and I'm like, oh, this is wild. So, so I did what I always do. I sat in the corner, and I watched it all go down, and I'm watching it all go down, and finally uh, one, one guy turned to me, and I can't remember his name. He was just really old, and he turned to me. He's like, come on over here, son, and I was like, oh, gosh, this is going to be bad. And I, uh, I went over, and I sat down in this chair, and I, and I pulled off my Converse with no socks on. And I was just, I was embarrassed, you know. And I put my feet in the water, and I just closed my eyes. Because that's what you do whenever you're doing something you don't want to do, is you're like praying this is just going to get over with. And I start feeling hands touching my feet. And I start feeling these nubby baby finger hands touching my feet. And I don't know what happened in that moment. But all I could think of was this person that I respected so highly, that was so powerful, that had so much clout and authority and, 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 and honestly I was a little bit afraid of him because of all that clout and authority but, but, but somehow this person was on his hands and knees touching 
and washing and serving the gross feet of a 15-year-old teenager. And it just hit me like a ton of bricks. And I opened my eyes and I looked down and he's crying and he's praying for me. And my whole daggone life changed that day. Because I began to understand what it means to be a servant. A servant, yeah, they sign up to help at this event. And yeah, a servant will go back and do kids' church stuff. But a servant, a servant does things below their station for the sake of someone below their station to bring them up so we can all be on that same playing field together. And in that room that day, that 15-year-old me was being served by this titan of industry. We're, uh, we're, we're at this really critical time in our church where it's going to be really important for us to remember how to treat each other. And I'm asking you to take on the mindset of Jesus Christ. Lay down your rank. Lay down your weapons. Lay down your dignity. Race to the back of the line for the sake of other people. And according to that passage, we will make his joy complete if we do that. Would you pray with me? Lord, you are so good, and, and I am so not. And, uh, and I, I just, I can't help but wonder why you made the choices that you made to come down and save a wretch like me. But you did. You did. And for that reason, I owe you everything. I owe you my life. I owe you my pride. I owe you my talents and my time. But you don't want me to give that to you. You want me to give that to other people. By doing that, that's how I give that to you. It's, it's so, it's so you. So today I commit that I will serve my brothers and sisters in Christ. Regardless of my rank, regardless of my station, regardless of, 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 of my pride, God, I will put all that aside. And I will become the servant of others to honor you and to make your joy complete. In Jesus' name, amen.